What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, it's all about the all-new PlayStation Plus, formerly known as Spartacus, so let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, this past week, after months of speculation and questions and hope as to what PlayStation Spartacus was actually going to be, Sony finally decided to lift the veil and give us the details, or most of them, as to what we can expect PlayStation Spartacus to actually be. And first things first, it is actually not called PlayStation Spartacus. That was just the code name of the project. I got to be honest with you, I'm a little disappointed because I really like the way PlayStation Spartacus sounds. I think it sounds pretty cool. That would have been a really cool name to update or add to the PlayStation Plus name. But it was not meant to be. Instead, the way this service has been referred to online, most places that I look is all new PlayStation Plus. And I got to be honest, not a big fan if that's how we just continue to refer to it as, but... I will stay reserved. It's not that big of a deal, but I digress. Now, obviously, what this is, is their Sony, that is, their answer to Game Pass and their new subscription service going forward. And I'm going to be talking to you and going into the details, explaining to you what the tiers are, breaking them down, and really giving you what my thoughts are on each tier. And is this what I wanted from PlayStation Spartacus? Is it a Game Pass killer, as the probable intent of the service is meant to be. All these different things and more we are going to discuss in the coming segment. Now, first thing, this is exactly what most people thought that it was going to be, which it combines PlayStation Plus with PlayStation Now. And if you didn't know what the difference was before, PlayStation Now is basically a streaming service that Sony offered that was separate from PlayStation Plus, and you could pay a monthly or annual fee in order to access a decent amount of games, a good, pretty good library that they had started to actually update more regularly with more recently released titles. But in my opinion, it never really took off, and obviously Sony didn't think so either, which is why they're kind of integrating it into their PlayStation Plus platform. So that's the first thing we'll talk about here is the combination and the integration of the two. Now, when you have these two, it's going to be offset into a three-tiered service. And ultimately, at the premium level, is going to give you access to over 700 games. That's insane. That's a lot of games. So gamers, here is the breakdown of the three tiers of all new PlayStation Plus. Now, first up, we have PlayStation Plus Essential. That's the first tier. It's the base tier. And Essential is basically the exact same service as PlayStation Plus currently is. No changes to the current pricing. You get two monthly downloadable games for free. 
discounts and save game cloud storage, access to online multiplayer for most games, etc., etc. It's 10 bucks a month in the US, 25 bucks quarterly or 60 bucks for a year. Now, that is exactly what we have right now with PlayStation Plus. Now, if you want to go to the second tier, it's called PlayStation Plus Extra. And I got to be honest, the extra, it's like, come on, guys, we couldn't think about something else other than extra, PlayStation Plus Extra. But the extra tier, it includes all of those benefits you get with PlayStation Plus Essential, but it adds a catalog of around 400 PS4 and PS5 games, and those can be downloaded at any time while you are a member. It does include first and third party games, but no new exclusives will launch into the service. Now, real quick with the price on that, it's 15 bucks a month in the US, $40 quarterly or 100 bucks per year. Now, let me just real quick, PlayStation Plus Extra, 400 PS4 and PS5 games. So just the most recent catalog of games as far as the accessibility is concerned but the big clincher there is what everybody was waiting for coming into this announcement even though sony had already said look we're not doing day one exclusive launch titles that's not how that's not what we're about here we're not doing that game pass does it we get it we're not doing that and they've stayed firm on that stance they are not launching first party exclusives day one on this service We'll talk about the details of that here in a little bit, but the third and final tier is PlayStation Plus Premium. Now, I do like that name. Premium, it's going to include all the essential and extra benefits, and in addition to those 400 PS4 and PS5 games, you'll get an extra 340 PS1, PS2, and PSP games that you can stream and download. Don't forget the PS3, though. It is involved in that number, but you can only stream the PS3 games. Now, I assume that's probably got to do with the issue with the whole cell processor and the way that games are so difficult to create and develop on the PS3. And that's why we haven't seen really a whole lot of, if any, backwards compatibility options on PS4 and PS5 from the PS3 era is because of that stupid cell processor they decided to go with that year but i digress streaming can be carried out on ps4 ps5 and on the pc one of sony's newest forays in the last couple of years is going to pc now premium members will also receive time limited trials of some games ah that's another big point i want to talk about here in a little bit now, in the U.S., it's going to cost you 18 bucks a month, 50 quarterly, and $120 a year. Now, while Sony does say it's looking to increase coverage for cloud streaming across the world, regions that don't have access to streaming will instead get a different tier called Deluxe. And that's going to remove streaming. Obviously, in that case, you would lose all access to PS3 games from that premium tier, but it is going to be a lower price. Now, Deluxe, obviously, it doesn't seem like it's going to be available outside of those specific regions. And why would it if you have access to streaming? 
The service, though, according to Sony for right now, it's going to launch with the likes of Death Stranding, God of War, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Miles Morales, Mortal Kombat 11, and Returnal. And the CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment, Jim Ryan, he actually told Games Industry there is a diverse lineup to come. Quote-unquote, whether it's indies, whether it's big games, or things that celebrate our heritage, all sorts of games. We are going to have it all, and hopefully a lineup that ticks all sorts of boxes. Well, Jim, uh, I'm glad you're able to tick off the boxes, sir, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I What does that mean? Like, where? Uh, anyways, the new service will roll out regionally, and it begins in several markets in Asia in the month of June, just a few two actually now, short months away, and it's going to be followed by North America, Europe, and the rest of the world. No specific dates have been offered as of yet. So guys, now we get into my favorite part here. What are my thoughts on all of this? So we got a lot to break down here. So let me just say, first up, the features, what we got and what I wanted. So what did we get? Well, as far as what we got new, okay, so we got a massive back catalog of games across all PlayStation platforms and time-limited game trials at the highest tier, which is premium. That's the newest stuff that we got, right? What did I want that we didn't get? Well, you know, I didn't necessarily want a carbon copy of the whole day one release on Game Pass, but maybe something like early access to game launches or exclusive content with certain games. I, I really think that would have gone a long way. Something along those lines. And look, these game trials that they have mentioned, that may be what we're looking at here as something along those lines. But we just, we don't have the details yet. So really, not a whole lot extra, <laughs> except for that massive back catalog of games. Now, when we look at price, so essential, it's 10 bucks a month or $60 a year, which is the same as now. No big deal. Extra, PS Extra, it's five bucks more a month at 15 bucks and $40 more a year at $100. But it does get you that catalog of 400 games that can be downloaded. For $3 more a month, premium's $18 or $120 a year, which is $20 more than extra, but also double what we currently pay for plus annually right now. So that's the big point that I look at, guys. What will I be paying double for if I do go to that new top tier premium level? So essentially, I'll be paying double for that catalog of PS1, 2, 3, and PSP games with those early access demo demos. Now, for me, realistically, I am not going to play those back catalog games, guys, which is what sucks, because depending on what the details are surrounding these game trials, it may not be worth it for me, that premium tier. And typically, I'm that guy that just goes, hey, whatever the top of the line is, that's what I want. So immediately, by default, in my mind, I go to premium. But when I break it down like this, it's like, well, I I'm not going to play those games. And if these trials are just glorified demos, it's not going to be worth it to me. You know, Game Pass Ultimate, it's $180 a year, but I get free games with gold, 
launch day first party exclusives, third party launch day additions, access to EA Play and xCloud. Guys, to me, that's worth it at the end of the day. Because as of right now, even at $60 less a year, PlayStation Plus Premium does not come close to the value that I personally get from Game Pass Ultimate, especially when you factor in day one exclusives that Xbox offers that Sony doesn't. And Sony charges a base premium of $70 for its first party games. So the value even more continues to shrink. That 70 bucks on each Sony first party game that I buy in a year outweighs the 60 more that I pay on Game Pass over plus premium in a year. But really guys, it's really in what you're looking for personally. If the first party exclusives launch day, if that doesn't bother you, or if you are a massive retro gamer and just love and constantly want to go back to that back catalog of the entire legacy of PlayStation, then this is going to be huge for you because until the PS5, the PlayStation really hasn't had a great backwards compatibility option really since the PS2. I mean, PS3 at the launch of the console had that option in one of its models, but they quickly phased that out because of the cost. And then there was no backwards compatibility until they finally started doing it with PS5. So if you've always wanted that collection, this is going to be perfect for you. Now, my thoughts on its release and the timing of it. If the service does plan to launch as projected in the targeted markets in Asia, I'd expect the North American and European launches to be not too far behind, maybe even as early as August or September. Potentially, guys, listen to me now, potentially around the time of a hypothetical God of War Ragnarok launch. Could premium members get a chance to play an early game trial of Ragnarok? Say it gets announced for a November release, and oh, by the way, if you're a Premium Plus member, you can play an early access game trial of Ragnarok right now, and your game progress will carry over in two months. Woo! You know, everybody goes nuts. At least I would. That is what I'm looking for. That would be awesome. And that could also be a good way for Sony to boost those subscriptions in the beginning of this platform's life cycle. But ultimately, I do foresee that all service plans will be available worldwide by the end of September, if I'm a betting man. Now, ultimately, is it a Game Pass killer, guys? No, I personally do not think so. I do think it is a needed upgrade to the PS Plus service, a kind of shot in the arm, so to speak, because I think the Sony had to do something to sweeten the pot a little bit in response to Game Pass. And one thing gamers have been asking for for a while has been that backwards compatibility for older generations beyond the PS4. You know, you think about it, that shot in the arm that I'm talking about, PS Plus has pretty much been the same since PS3. I mean, think about it. It really has not changed up its format a whole lot in all those years. So I think it's necessary. I think it's a good move. But depending on what games are optionable for that back catalog... I don't know. It could be a tough thing to beat. But outside of backwards compatibility, again, when I go to these game trials, that limited trial, is it simply a demo of the game in question where the demo lasts for just a couple of hours and it's a bare bone version of what the real game is actually going to be? Or is it going to be more like EA Play and that system where you have a maximum of 10 hours to play the game, earn achievements or trophies, save progress before you have to buy the game? And then 
If you do like the game enough, you can buy the game at a discounted price and pick up right where you left off. That, guys, I'm telling you, if that is what these early game trials are, that is a deal breaker for me in a good way. Like, that's huge. That would be the deciding factor for me to probably say, yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll get premium. Now, if it's the first option, I just don't see the point if it's just a basic random demo. But if this will be a system allowing those premium members early access to some of the hottest upcoming games, and you can put a decent amount of time in and carry over progress, I just, I personally think that it's a perfect solution for Sony to deciding not to include day one launches of first party exclusives to the service. I still don't think it's obviously as good as getting the game essentially for free, like it feels like you do when you play it on Game Pass, but it's still a good business decision in the sense that if you're Sony, you don't give away the game for free, so you retain all the sales that you've gotten and could potentially gain from new players new sales from those that try the demo. Now, the same could be said for potentially losing buyers if people play the game in the trial and don't like it and end up not paying for it. So it may just be all a wash in the end. But I do still feel that in my opinion, this premium plus membership, it's a start to a respectable answer to Game Pass. So will I get extra or premium or just continue to stick with Essential? Guys, for right now, if you haven't figured it out, I'll probably just stick with Essential. Extra, it's really just adding PS Now to the service that I already have. And I am not missing out, in my opinion, by not playing any of those games that are on PS Now. Most of which because I've already either played them or they're just older and I would not play them over what I have in front of me right now anyways. But games like Returnal and Death Stranding, those are promising for what games may be coming to the system and we can expect for in the future to be added. But with no first party exclusive day one launches, how long would we have to wait for these games to show up on the service for it to really matter? The one thing that everything hinges on for me right now, again, are those time limited trials and whether they're just going to be glorified demos or something more. So that's my thoughts on the all new PlayStation Plus. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, as I turn the page in my captain's log now to see what games it was that I was playing these past couple of weeks, because yes, it has been two weeks, believe it or not, since my last Captain's Quarters episode. So two weeks since I've last been able to update you on what adventures I've been on. The first game that I've got to talk to you about, of course, Horizon Forbidden West. Since the last update on Horizon... Gamers, I've dropped 25 hours into this game over the last two weeks, which has brought me up to an overall time played total of 72 hours, which is insane to me that I've dropped that many hours in this game already. It does not, it feels like half that. It feels more in line with what the percentage completion is that I'm at right now, which is 38% complete. So do that math, 72 hours at 38% complete. It's just, it's insane to me. But a lot of that is because in that 25 hours that I've played over the last two weeks, you know, when I last left off of my progression with you guys, I had just made it to the area known as the Dry Yearn, essentially this desert-like area or massive region that was kind of just about in the middle of the entirety of the game world map of Forbidden West. And 
that is where I have spent my entire 25 hours. I mean, essentially, this area, I am in and around Las Vegas and the desert around Las Vegas. And guys, I have just been loving my time in this area. And the crazy thing about the 26 hours I've spent here is that none of it, not a single minute has been doing anything related to the main quester story. I I have literally been exploring this massive middle region, exploring relic ruins, discovering new villages and characters and helping them out in different ways, going through cauldrons, playing machine strike. I mean, you name it, I've been doing it. It's just been just this amazing world in and of itself, just in the middle part of the game map that I've lost myself for 25 hours in. And it's been awesome. And there was one larger city that I thoroughly enjoyed that had a storyline all of its own. And this place is called Scalding Spire. And I got to tell you guys, that's one thing I love about this game. They just did an awesome job with naming things. Call me weird, but it's just the name of literally everywhere that you go to. Barren Light, Chain Scrape, Scalding Spire, The Sundom. All these different things, I just, I love the use of letters. <laughs> you know, you think about words. They're just combinations of, of letters, right? And then we make sounds and they form words. It's just amazing to me. I, I'm so into everything about this game world. The Karja, the Tanakh, and just the lore that is built in here. It's just oozing with it, guys. And I cannot, I literally cannot get enough of it. Good friend of the show, fellow podcaster, gaming podcaster, graveyard gamer himself, talking to him. And I just said, man, the, the only word I know that is applicable here is I'm just straight up addicted to this game. Like I just cannot get enough of it. It is so good. And I continue to share that sentiment with you guys here, you listeners. Now, this city of Scalding Spire, it was just awesome. It was Bigger than your normal little village that you would come across, which is why I reference it as a city and not a village. And as you come through, I mean, it's literally got every every type of vendor that you would have met throughout the game at this point is there. You also have some training grounds where you can do some fighting pit stuff. You have dyes, which is amazing. I just, I love the ability to dye and change the colors of... Aloy's outfits and armor sets. As weird as it may sound, I'm sorry. I just, I love customization and personalization in my games. And the dies help do that and add that level of ownership over your personality. And when it comes to Aloy's armors and outfits. Now, in addition to all this, there is an overarching kind of a main storyline going on here. And the really cool thing is it kind of built up to uh like in and around scalding spire there were multiple people and maybe tiny little side quests that you did along the way or at least that i did that multiple people told you to meet them in scalding spire and it all just kind of culminated in this overall overarching storyline of the city and it came down to a very important decision that you as the player have to make for this city and its people and it was just awesome it was just a great send-off to the city and you know, the implications of the decision that I made here, it does seem like they will be seen at a later point in the game, positive or negative. So I am very excited to see what those results may be and kind of nervous, but I do feel confident with my decision. So I'm thinking it should be pretty positive, the results here. But 
you know, outside of Scalding Spire, I mean, there's just the environments that I traversed and went through. I just, I love the different types of them. It wasn't just a desert. It wasn't just dry and desolate. There was a lot of that. And it was just awesome, too, to be going through that desert, speaking of it. And there would just be these desert cyclones that would be spinning around out in the world. And uh, FYI, yeah, you don't want to go near them. Um, they will mess you up a little bit. But it was kind of cool to see different machines that were unaware and they would walk right into them and it would tear some stuff off of them as well. But just that little additive, the desert cyclones randomly popping up around that, I, I loved it. Different sandstorms that would pop up and the way Aloy's character model, her reaction where she would put her arms up to block the sand from her face and that's the desert guys there are swampy areas and just the different way algae looks and the grasslands and areas around it and the fact that you have snap maws which are basically alligator machines that are in designated areas like this and sunken cities that you have to explore and help citizens and uh salt lands where it's the desert it, it reminded me of many different sci-fi planets that we've seen where it's like oh the the sand is white but it's actually salt or even more recently in gaming there is an area where you go to an island that's literally there's salt lands and it's an assassin's creed odyssey so the other final type of location though that i've just recently come across in this all encompassing area here lush grasslands and man they are absolutely stunning and I know there was a patch update for this game recently that was supposed to fix some visual things. And I don't know if that is what I'm seeing here or not, but I will tell you the different fields of grass or tall grass that you can hide in. A lot of times it did come across very grainy to me, but I do know that that was supposed to be a part of the patch fix is getting rid of or eliminating that grain. And I got to tell you, man, it's it looks really good. I'm just sitting there looking back and you got the tall grass, which is say these white stems, and then you got the green grass around it and then the trees and whew, And you know what? I actually forgot an area. I went into some snowy mountainous areas and they were absolutely gorgeous as well. And speaking of Aloy reacting to sandstorms and putting her arms up and, and blocking her face from the sand, she does the same similar kind of action with snow and the snowy area. She'll sit there and cover up and try to bundle up and rub her hands over her arms to warm up a little bit oh man it's just and she actually verbally sometimes will say oh it's cold or you know this outfit sucks for this weather you know something to that effect so it's it's pretty funny but it's thoroughly enjoyable and i just i can't get enough of it even the birds there's different birds in different environments and it's uh, i don't know guys it's the little things but I will tell you that I did say I did play some Machine Strike again, and I have been very apprehensive ever since I came across my first intermediate difficulty level player and got my butt kicked. I've been very apprehensive. I've come across at least two or three more since that one, and I'm like, nah, nah, I'll wait, I'll wait. Well, today, actually, before recording, I came across one. I said, you know what? I'm doing it. I am doing it. And I'm glad I did because ultimately, if you don't know Machine Strike, there are three different boards that you have to defeat an opposing player on. And typically, the other players that I've failed against, I can beat the first board, but I can't get past that second board. Well, I am happy to say I was able to defeat this intermediate level difficulty player on all three boards. 
and get a strike piece. So it was very nice. It was a actually a long leg strike piece, which was pretty cool. So I'm very anxious to see how that strike piece will help in my future machine strike games. Now I will say guys, after all of this, and that's in a nutshell what I was doing, after all of this, I have finally gotten to a point in my exploration of this map where I am now officially heading to the next quest marker of the main story quest that I'm on. And I am so excited to see the details of what is waiting for me there and where that main story is gonna lead Aloy next. Because where I'm at, there are three different branching options that you can go through and, and specific points of interest. And I am just going to follow the recommended level. Uh, right now, there is a recommended level of, you know, we'll just say 20. And I'm a level 28 right now. So obviously, I'll go in ascending order. So if the three different markers are level 20, 23, and 25, I'm going to go with level 21st and work my way up. Regardless of where my current player level is, I just feel like that's the natural progression the game would want you to follow. So I can't wait to see where it takes me, what really cool items or gear that I get from it. I'm really hoping I get the gear piece that allows me to get rid of, as Aloy calls them, the metal flowers. Because, man, ever since the absolute beginning of the game, I've come across so many locations that are blocked because of these things. It would be nice to be able to finally get past them and see what they are protecting. But that wasn't the only game that I played this past week. I also finally checked out Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Now, guys, I'll be honest. I only played about a half hour before bed one night. But it was enough time for me to complete the tutorial and the first main level of the game. And the bottom line is the game was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun in that half hour. Now, I've never really gotten into the Kirby games of the past, but I really did want to give this one a shot. And if you've been following the show, you know that I talked about it very highly and excitedly before it released months ago when it was debuted. So I am really excited to actually be playing this, enjoying it, and I'm excited to put some more time into it. You know, the world of, for of the Forgotten Land, it is just as cool looking visually in the game and fun to explore from a gameplay standpoint as I would hoped it would be based on those trailers. The platforming's great. The graphics are really nice. The animations are smooth. And the movement of Kirby and just using his abilities, the copy ability specifically on certain characters and objects by swallowing them and then taking on, whether it's, hey, now I can throw bombs or now I'm a freaking car and can drive around, whatever it may be. It's just been great so far. And the puzzle aspects, what little did I have encountered in that half hour? In the first level's collectibles, looking for those, it does look promising going forward. A lot of fun trying to figure out how to get to certain areas or objects. So I just really cannot wait to get back into the game and explore more of this forgotten land with Kirby. But after all of this, let's go check out and see what my highlights of the week was. Gamers, as much fun as the half hour was that I played in Kirby and the Forgotten Land, there was just so many options to pull from when it came to Horizon Forbidden West this past week for my highlight of the week. So obviously it's from Horizon. And I got to tell you, it was from a specific moment where I was exploring the most recent relic ruin that I came across. And if you've played the game, then you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't yet played the game, please play it. But if you haven't, relic ruins are basically 
locations, a hotel, uh, in this case, a church, different landmarks of the world that was before. But the really cool thing that I love about these landmarks and about these relic ruins is the continuing storyline that is following a road trip of a group of friends all the way across America. And it started way back at the beginning of the game at the first Relic Ruin, and I've kind of followed them on their journey. And there's always an interesting story that they've left behind in the ultimate collectible that you get for, you know, getting to the end of the Relic Ruin. Because the Relic Ruin is essentially a puzzle, right? It's an environmental piece, but it is a environmental puzzle. You got to figure out how to get into that final room and claim the ornament, as it's called in the game, which is the collectible. And then in turn, you get the text data log that is chronicling the road trip of these friends. And you know what? It just It's always good for a chuckle. And it was no different here. As I said, it was a church. And, you know, it wasn't just the story and this road trip. And the it was so much more in this specific relic ruin and in this moment what made this one special for me and this highlight of the week guys i'm just sitting there and as i come across this relic ruin first off visually it's just absolutely stunning the the visuals are it's gorgeous the sky is a little bit overcast you see the steeple and the tall tower of the church the bell tower in the distance and you can tell what looks to be a parking lot And it's overgrown with this just beautiful, gorgeous, vibrant, lush, greeny, moss-looking type of material. But you still see cars that are dilapidated, old, overgrown cars that are still there in what used to be a parking lot. You see the lights, the parking lot lights that are still, the stems are still left there. And you start walking around the exterior of this church. And I just, I can't help but do it every time I come across these relic ruins I just think back to what it was before. And it really got to me even more so this time because as I came across and came to this clearing in this area and started exploring this absolutely gorgeous melody of being played by a flute came over and it was just (laughs) complimented by a light rain that started to fall in the game. So as I'm exploring, it's just everything combining together just really accentuated my engagement in this area. But what made it even better, guys, is from a gameplay standpoint, the puzzle. Figuring out how to utilize the crates in this area. This is arguably the absolute best puzzle design I've ever seen using crates. You know, crates have been used in puzzle design and gaming for years and years and years. But I got to tell you, there are some ingenious ways in this game that they have utilized the crate. And in this moment, in this relic ruin of the church, it was no different. It was awesome. It was one of those, oh man, this is great when I figured it out, how you utilize the crates, I'll say. So not only was it visually stunning, audibly stunning and beautiful, but it was also an amazing puzzle design beautiful approach to the area easily my highlight of the week so now let's go check out some buried treasure gaming tips i have for you in horizon forbidden west 
Gamers, this past week playing Horizon Forbidden West, there was a revelation that came to me, and it is this. So if you played the game, you'll know that medicinal berries are your best friend. You're going to want to constantly pick every medicinal berry or type of berry that you come across to make sure that you always have berries either on hand or they get sent to your stash, which I got to tell you is one of the greatest things in all of gaming that Guerrilla Games created for this game is the stash. <laughs> and essentially, you can never run out of inventory space in this game. And I absolutely love that. But... Outside of that, the, the piece that I really want to make sure that you're aware of that I wasn't until recently is how to maximize the use of the medicinal berries. Now, obviously, when you pick them up, you'll see whatever your inventory level is and your pouch is where they're initially going to go to. So for me, like right now, I can hold up to 12. Well, once you get 12 out of 12, it shows you that. So you think, oh, well, everything else is going to my stash. No. I'm here to tell you that outside of that 12, there is a specific amount, depending on how you're leveling up your character and whatnot, that is considered your inventory. That after you fill up your pouch, there will be a certain amount of berries that go into your inventory. Then after the inventory is filled, that is when the berries go into your stash. So what my tip is here, pay attention to that. Because how many times have I, in the earlier part of the game, and potentially you, in the earlier part of the game, ran out of berries in the middle of a fight, had no potions on hand, and were just freaking out? Or you had potions, but you're trying to flip through the D-pad, and oh my god, I can't get to the... Guess what, guys? I'm here to let you know, after you run out of those initial berries, guess what? The quantity that's in your inventory, if you hold up on the D-pad, it will replenish your pouch. So you can replenish your pouch up to however many you have in your inventory. If you have a full inventory, it'll fill your pouch and then heal your Aloy. So keep an eye on those medicinal berries. Always constantly, constantly pick them. I'm telling you. One more thing I have for you this week. I can't express enough how amazing adhesive bombs are when it comes to use in combat. You have to get the corrosive blast sling first to be able to use these. But all I can tell you is adhesive bombs do not sleep on them. They are amazing. Now, what they do is when you sling them at a machine, if you get them to a point where usually it's two, maybe three, depending on the machine, it will literally, it's gunk. It's sticky gunk. So it essentially sticks them to the ground and they are vulnerable for a few seconds. It's amazing. If, especially if you're on a hunt for specific machine parts, this is a huge help in getting them to just stop and sit there. And no, don't get me wrong. They're still kind of writhing around trying to get out of the gunk, but it's not like they're running around trying to kill you and swiping their tail at you and you're rolling and dodging and still trying to hit off a specific target. So do not sleep on adhesive bombs and always make sure to keep an eye on that medicinal berry pouch and inventory level and hold up if you need to. Now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, after spending 25, 26 hours roughly over the past two weeks in the world of Forbidden West, I have obviously very much got Horizon as a series and a franchise on my mind. And obviously, we all know that Forbidden West is the second in the series. Now, my biggest thing this week that I want to bring up to you is 
Think about looking at the cover of Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition, as well as Forbidden West. Right below Horizon, the word Horizon, you'll see a Roman numeral. And on Zero Dawn Complete Edition, it's the Roman numeral 1. On Forbidden West, it is the Roman numeral 2, indicating, hey, look, this is just number 1 and 2 of a bigger story. So where I go this week in my captain's decree is this. Where do I want to see the Horizon series go in its future? Guys, I am here to say two things to that. First, an Aloy quadrilogy, meaning four games, not just three in a trilogy, quadrilogy. And there's a reason for that that I'll get to in a second. And then I would love to see the series and a new character go to Europe. But first up, we have Aloy and the quadrilogy. Now, the reason I say quadrilogy is think about it. Horizon Zero Dawn, it took place more middle America, right? You got Forbidden West as the second game in the series. So why not continue around the compass, if you will? We got the West. We still have the South and the North and East, right? So how about in a third game, we go to, let's say, Horizon Deep South, (laughs) something to that effect. And I mean, just think about it, though, in all seriousness, think about where we are now. I started thinking about this when I was in Las Vegas and Forbidden West. So think about this. If you go into the South, you can possibly have her pass through Texas, go into Florida. And I've already talked about in previous episodes of how amazing Florida could potentially be as a setting for a post-apocalyptic game. And this is very much that. I mean, think about Disney World hundreds and hundreds of years in the future or Universal Studios or, you know, again, the Everglades, all these different things that you could potentially do with Florida and Texas and, oh man, just the bayou. Think about the bayou. The bayou alone would be an awesome environment to explore and go through. All these different areas in the South, I would think that would be awesome for her to explore through. And then when we look at the other part of the compass, the fourth game, Horizon Northeast. And so I combine the North and the East. And I mean, think about it. Major metropolitan cities in that game could be the main locations that she travels through, ultimately going north we'll say, heading towards more of like a Canada type area. So say she starts in the southern part of the Northeast and, you know, Baltimore and the Maryland area, and then say, working her way up through Philadelphia, Boston, and ultimately to New York. And that's where the finale and the, and the last major portion of the game is. I think it would be awesome. I think there's a lot of potential in all of those locations for some really cool settings, some really cool games, also some really cool machines and different storyline opportunities. I would love it. Now, when I say Horizon Europe, I think at that point, say the quadrilogy, that is Aloy's story. Once we get the quadrilogy, we have her story. I'm not saying she passes away or anything like that, or she's completely done. But kind of like with Nathan Drake in Uncharted, we had his four games. Yeah, we had Golden Abyss as an offshoot, but the four main games, right? And then it was his send-off, and that was it. So the same kind of idea with Aloy. We complete her story in those four games. We go around the compass. Well, obviously, the whole world ended. It wasn't just America. So I think about that, and I'm like, man, 
we have a whole continent of Europe that we could explore in the same kind of setting with machines and all kinds of other stuff going on over there. Really cool locations that she could explore or he or whoever. It could be a brand new character to kick off a new wave of the series. And that's what I would envision for a horizon set in Europe. Think about it. A new style of gameplay. Maybe they add some things and switch some things up. You got London and France and Italy. Just a lot of really cool locations, again, that you could really do some cool stuff with within the setting and the context of what the universe of Horizon is. So, guys, I can't wait to see what Sony continues to do and Guerrilla Games continues to do with this series. I just hope it's something similar to these ideas because I personally am really, really excited to explore all of these areas, hopefully one day, in the setting of a Horizon game. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media at lostatseagaming on Instagram, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.